I knew it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. You are listening to Hank's Infinite Playlist. My friends, welcome back. You are listening to the second episode of season two of Hank's Infinite Playlist. I am your host, Justin Birnbaum, and joining me is my consigliere, Hank Tucker. Today, after a long-awaited return, we are discussing the ever-famous Godfather Part 2. I don't want to take too much of your time because I've made you wait for so long. This is part of our wise guys category as we continue. A brief recap of the rules. We are watching a four-pack of mafia movies that I've affectionately dubbed Wise Guys. And after watching each movie, Hank will assign a score. The winning score wins the category. And who knows, maybe one day, all of our winning categories will compete with each other. So without further ado, let's take a quick break. And we're going to dive in to post-Hank because now I must confess that we forgot to do pre-Hank before we watched the movie. But in our defense... Uh, we had both seen The Godfather 1, so there was a pretty good shot that Hank had a good idea what goes on in this movie, so not much lost there. So, quick break, and we're back. All right, now before Hank delivers his post-Hank review, here's a plot summary of The Godfather 2, courtesy of Google. A young man grows up in the mob and works very hard to advance. I'm reading the Goodfellas <laughs> plot summary. Put this in the fucking bloopers. <laughs> it's like, this does not look like The Godfather. Should I just leave this in the podcast? Is this good content? I, I think it's, it might be good enough content I mean, for, our, for our loyal fans. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're, we're not going to edit this out. Uh, all right. So now for real, here's the plot summary for The Godfather 2, courtesy of Google. The compelling sequel to the quote-unquote Godfather, well, the Godfather, contrasting the life of Corleone, father and son, traces the problems of Michael Corleone, Al Pacino, in 1958 and that of a young immigrant Vito Corleone, Robert De Niro, in 1917's Hell Kitchen. Michael survives many misfortunes and Vito is introduced to a life of crime. Honestly, Google, not a great plot summary written, but, you know, you can't argue with what's written on the page. So, uh... That's that. Hank, your post-Hank review, lay it on me. Yeah, you know, this is going to be a controversial episode, I think, because I was pretty unimpressed with this movie. I mean, maybe it's just the Gen Z attention span, and, and I don't appreciate good filmmaking enough, but, you know, I'm looking at my watch every few minutes, going, how much longer can this last? You know, it's almost three and a half hours, you get through two whole hours, and the screen flashes intermission, and it's like, man, this is just intermission, and we've watched a whole long movie already. So, I mean, look, there, there are certainly very dramatic scenes here. Uh, they're just kind of a little few and far between for me. You know, I didn't, even, I didn't even really catch the key point in the movie when Fredo accidentally revealed that he knew Johnny and, and got recommendations from him, which I guess indicated to Michael that he was a traitor until you pointed it out and paused it. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that is kind of a big deal. Um, so, you know, I guess there you have it. It's, you know, my harshest review for a movie yet on the Infinite Playlist, really my only harsh review for a movie so far, uh, for the movie that many consider one of the greatest of all time. So, what do I know? I, I want to banter a little here. Um, so what's interesting is, I did point out that point of the movie, but the reason I knew to point that out was, and I'm going to mention this later, is that's like a very pop-culturally significant, like, line or moment that I had known before. 
So I guess let me put it like this. Part of this probably comes down to we psyched ourselves out of how long this movie is. Like we, you know, just schedules and whatever, but part of the fact that this movie was three and a half hours delayed the ultimate production of this podcast. So, um, you know, that, that was a big thing there. I think in a vacuum, it's a very well put together, nuanced movie, but I agree with you. Like, this is going to go over so bad, but I fail to see how like anyone could say this is better than the first one. Yeah, I like the first one. The first one's a great movie. I think, uh, um, and, uh, you know, I was looking, doing some research about the movie before recording. I looked up a little bit, and apparently they were, they had to cut down on the transitions between stories as not to confuse people. I thought that the transitions between the two, like, side-by-side stories was, was not confusing, but very disjointed. And that yeah. kind of took away the experience of the movie. I, I never really felt like there was a cohesive plot to Michael's side of the story. It was kind of just like, this is a day in the life or a week or a month, a year in the life of, of Michael Corleone. And the only part of that that kind of does sort of resolves itself by the intermission. And then all of a sudden he's just appearing before Congress with this guy, with, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but that guy testifying. Frank uh, yeah. Pentangeli. Pentangeli, Pentangelo. Yeah, I'll check the, the credits and see exactly what it was at some point. But yeah, um, didn't really, like I, The Godfather 1, I remember watching, and I didn't watch it very early. And like I must have watched it in my early 20s. And I remember just being blown away. And that is like, you know, very similar. And, you know, like, like you mentioned, the Gen Z attention span and how this is slower paced. But Godfather 1, like, that movie is a ride from, from start to finish. Um, I've got some thoughts and notes I wrote down. Not as much as usual, but I guess we can kind of pick this up as I go through them. So I'll jump right into those. Um, the first, in the opening of the movie, the brother of Vito Paolo you know, disappears into the hills and couldn't make the funeral, but somehow gets killed during the funeral. Yeah, I, I still don't understand that part of it. I, I don't know if Google can help us with that, but yeah. that was confusing. Um, you mentioned this, Vito Corleone's mom, not a great plan, you know, approaching the, the mob <laughs> boss and saying, don't kill my son. If he does, just pulling out a knife when they very clearly all have guns. Um, yeah, I don't know how Vito got away from that, you know, good, good for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing about, you know, Al Pacino's career, and for what it's worth, I love Al Pacino. I like, I, we're, the next movie we're, we're going to watch is an Al Pacino movie, Al Pacino and Johnny Depp. Um, for the, I'll, I'll reveal at the end of the podcast, but not the point. Pacino was like basically almost an old man by the time we got to him. How old do you think he was in this movie? Um, I'm going to, 45? He was 34 in this movie, but that proves my point. He does not look like a 34-year-old. Yeah. He looks middle-aged. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Statue of Liberty shot, which is, I must point out, is a uh, great view from the Staten Island Ferry. Did you have any relatives come through Ellis Island? I don't believe I did, no. Okay. I don't think I did either because my dad's parents... Um, his mother was adopted by like older half brothers who already had citizenship, and then my she married my grandpa, and they got to skip it. But um, this what? is this is gonna come back later. But the hooks they use to check the eyes always skeeve me. Also, in fourth grade, I went on a class trip to Ellis Island, and I, my mom was a chaperone on the trip, and I forgot my lunch, and because I forgot my lunch, I was the only student allowed to go to, like the food court and get a hamburger. So, great moments in Burbank history. Perks of forgetting your lunch. Yeah. Um, when he is in Ellis Island and they change his name, where his name is uh, Andalini, Andalini yeah. and they give him the Corleone name, 
Do you think that was a mistake or intentional? Is that the security guard being ignorant or just didn't hear him? I think that security guard just didn't hear him right. I think he, he saw the, the city where he was from and he just thought that meant that it was his name. And it was just, it was, you know, illustrating how that would happen and, you know, names would be changed as mistakes and they just dealt with it. Yeah, I feel like that's a fairly common theme. Uh, I don't know if you, you put one one together for this one, but Adrian! Connie Corleone is Adrian. She's also the sister of the director of this movie. Oh. Yeah, she's Francis Ford Coppola's sister. I think. Or niece? Hold on. Let, let me fact check that right now. <laughs> Live fact checking going her, on right Her name here. is Talia Shire. Um, and she is... The, the, I was right. The sister. De Niro won an Oscar for this? Agree? Disagree? It's hard to say without who he was against. Yeah. I... I don't know about that one. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna agree. I he's good, but like I don't know if uh, I don't know. I feel like we're coming into this very biased. I don't know what you know powered the Oscar win there. Um, how much did Vito's apartment in New York City? I'm sorry. How much did his apartment in New York City that they show in the flashbacks cost today? What's your estimate? And that thing is tiny. Yeah. Um, I bet it would be five thousand a month. Okay. Um, not sure if you, uh, recognize this, but in Zoolander, they quote Godfather 2, where at the end he says, I knew it was you, Maury, and it breaks my heart. I didn't, I didn't catch that in the moment, but I, good, good reference, Zoolander. Um, so the last scene in the movie, which is the flashback, which is probably, in my opinion, the best scene in the movie, um, because we get the return of James Caan as Sonny. Marlon Brando was written into it and supposed to show up, but I read online somewhere that he wasn't pleased with the way he was treated in the first film and like chose to not show up, and then Francis Ford Coppola had to rewrite it. Um, so, shame. Would have loved to see him back on screen one more time. Um, I think I mentioned this already, but a test I read online, a test screening of the film was so negative that they had to uh, cut down the cutting back and forth between Michael and young Vito. Um, yeah. I think that's it. Any uh, closing thoughts on this before we get into the segments? Nope. I think we can jump right into it. All right, cool. Let's take a quick break. All right, Hank. Let's dive into our segments here. Uh, we are going to lead off with the most uncomfortable moment of the movie. And uh, I teased this before, but I am going to pick the Ellis Island scene. And for an oddly specific reason, uh, I looked this up to get more context Immigrants arriving in Ellis Island were checked for a disease called trachoma using button hooks, which would lift the eyelid and check underneath the eyelid. I cannot tell you why, and I think this is probably a normal human reaction. It skis me out so much, and I'm pretty sure they did not clean the button hooks in between doing this to people. So it's not very sanitary. And like exactly as, as historically depicted, when Vito Corleone comes through Ellis Island, they take button hooks and look under his eyes. And that was probably the only time in the movie I put my arms over my eyes and said, ew. So maybe not the conventional uncomfortable moments that we have, but I'm going with that one. Definitely a painful moment and, and some a case where they're probably giving as many diseases as they're checking for. Uh, not with, very sanitary. Yeah. As, as a, a, you know, someone who's lived now through a real-life pandemic, 
you know, <laughs> we could say Ellis Island depict as depicted in this film and probably in real life was not very sanitary. I, I'm sure it was not. Um, yeah, mine is going to be Michael's conversation with uh, his wife Kay when she said she had she admitted she had an abortion. Uh, she referred to their marriage as an abortion, something that's unholy and evil. Um, and then Michael, of course, uh, strikes her. You know, I don't want to you know bring politics into this, but it was just the 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 tension, the the anger, um, with which uh, you know he kind of took that news and 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 reacted to that. Um, with you know, when he's a character that's always you know kind of outwardly calm at least usually except for that you know moment and a couple others when when he kind of snaps, um, you know that's the only time you see him, uh, I think treat his wife or 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 a woman with that much you know anger and violence and. No, uh, I I agree. I mean that was high up on my list. I I don't think that anyone can say that that's a comfortable moment. So yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. You have. More thoughts to that. That that I think that that's mostly self-explanatory, but um, yeah, definitely something that that makes you you know cringe. I'm and I'm sure it should have made people cringe fifty years ago, and, and and does even more now. Um, do you want to give us the secret villain first? My secret villain, uh, not not a really major character. I'm gonna choose the senator, Senator Geary. Um, he's you know just you know if you treat Michael as the protagonist, he's the kind of two-faced guy who. Um, stands up in front of the committee and talks about how much he loves Italian Americans, and then behind his back tries to do everything he can to you know undercut them, and as we see in the first scene, you know talks about how much you know he doesn't like them. Um, ends up having to get blackmailed. Yeah, he does. He does get compromised into uh you know, supporting you know their their goals, but uh he definitely is is somebody who who doesn't want to align himself with, yeah, as a politician probably shouldn't align himself with the mafia in real life, um, but for the movie, he, he's not, uh, he's, he's somebody that's, you know, trying to work against them. Yeah, no, I think what happened in this movie is that there are several kind of, like, pseudo-villains, like, you could probably call Fredo a villain to a certain degree, this guy, um, the, the, probably the main villain of, of Michael's storyline is Jaime Roth. Yeah. Um, who I read was actually based on Meyer Lansky in, in some ways. Um, I went a very different direction here. And you, what's funny is I usually conk out on the secret villain, and here I'm going pretty bold. So what I wrote down was I wrote Michael as our senior se- secret villain, excuse me. And I think I had a lot of flip-flopping in my head as we were watching this movie about should we be rooting for Michael or should we not be rooting for Michael? Is he a hero or is he an anti-hero? You know, on one hand, he's trying to lead the family, but on the other hand, you know, he's a mafia boss. You know, he's authorizing the murder of people. They're committing crimes. They're doing this. They're doing that. And I think what really put the icing over the cake for me is that, you know, in the end, he arranges the death of his brother. Um, and you, th- you do feel some sympathy for Fredo for a lot of this movie. I, I mean, Fredo, like, the... the um, the I'm forgetting the word for this, but it's like when someone represents an idea instead of like a specific uh, the allegory the allegory for him is I, I I'm drawing a blank. It's late for those we're recording this after midnight on uh I guess it's Friday now so it's Thursday night. But Fredo like is a is a popular like pop cultural thing for being like the idiot brother, and I know that he accidentally put my he uh, who he claims it wasn't intentional. Who knows if it was intentional or not. 
I mean, he's a fictional character. Who the fuck cares? But um, that he put his brother in harm's way. I feel like Michael as boss should have in some way, shape, or form forgiven him or, or you know, allowed him to be excommunicated. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a mafia boss. I don't think, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I could ever, you know, order the death of one of my siblings. Like, that would be outrageous no matter what they did. But I just, I feel like in the end... Michael's always tying up loose ends how he sees fit and not necessarily like evaluating it from both sides. So I labeled him as my secret villain. I don't know. You know, I thought that's, I didn't really think about going there, but he is kind of a hard protagonist to root for. Yeah. And, you know, he, he waits until his, his mom dies, and but you know he's been thinking that he wants to kill Fredo this whole time, and he's, I don't know if he has that... I don't know if he has a conscience anymore, but that's part of the point of the movie, I guess, is that the the this job, the stress, the and and being the Don has kind of taken all the emotion out of him. I think there's a very stark contrast because, and maybe we're not getting the full picture, but in the first film, Vito Corleone says, um, you know, he's talking to one of the people visiting him on the day of his daughter's wedding, and he says. Do you spend time with your family? A man is not a true man if he doesn't spend time with his family. And I think, you know, Godfather 1, especially in the flashbacks in Godfather 2, even with whatever he's engaged in, we see Vito spending a lot of face time with his wife and kids. Maybe it's just the circumstances of this movie, but it seems like Michael relatively ignores his family. Um, you know, it, it definitely there are indications of a fractured relationship with his son. Obviously, his marriage falls apart. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to kind of be on his side in this, you know, and maybe is that the design of the movie, you know, but I, it, it, is it compare and contrast with Vito and Michael in, in that regard? I don't know. Maybe we need to digest it a little more, but yeah. And Vito's easier to root for, I think. Sonny was easier to root for in the first movie until yeah. he got killed. Yeah. Um, Michael's more complicated. My, the way they – maybe part of the issue with why we didn't like this so much is I think the movie actually really departs from the, like, way Michael was in the first one. You know, he's this one who is escaping mafia life. He believes in his country. You know, he enlists in the military. Um, you know, he was always touted as the one that his father had plans for. And then I know a fair amount of time has passed, like a decade has passed in terms of timing between the two, but he's changed quite a bit. And I guess, you know, I mean, it's possible, but maybe that's why we don't root for him so much. All right. Um, secret hero. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to say the consigliere, Tom Hagen, oh. who, uh, I got Tom Hagen on my list too. Yeah. Um, I love Robert Duvall. He, he's a great actor, great performance. Uh, and he just gets stuff done. You know, it's Michael is he gets the credit, but when when he's he's the one guy who, you know, if if you consider Michael the the hero of the story, the the antihero, the protagonist, he he's the one guy that Michael can trust. I think unconditionally, and and knows that he's gonna have his back and and look out for him and you know do some maybe unpleasant things uh to to help him out well what's interesting so i wrote down two names the first is tom hagan and everything you said 100 percent true i think the one thing i want to add to that 
is that Michael openly dissed Tom to end the first movie. And you see kind of that roll through in the beginning of this movie and ultimately when really shit starts to hit the fan, he has to kind of bring Tom back into the fold fully. And I think Tom, I don't know if he could have walked away, but he fully could have checked out at that point, you know? And yet he chooses... Quiet quitting Consiglier, but he didn't. He remains loyal to the family. And um, he gets... He does exactly what's asked of him and more. And uh, sometimes Michael seems a little ungrateful at him. You know, there's the, the line where it's, you know, you can leave with your wife, kid, and mistress. And also he yells at him when Tom is trying to be gentle about what was perceived as a miscarriage at the time. Uh, so, I mean, being a consigliere is arguably a harder job than being the Don, you know? Yeah, you so. gotta do all the dirty work and don't get any of the credit. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, kill a character. I'm gonna go first here. And I'd like to preface this by apologizing to our resident Philadelphian Rocky expert because the character I've written to kill off is Connie Corleone, who, as we mentioned before, is Talia Shire, who is Adrian in the Rocky franchise. And... A masterful job as Adrian the Rocky franchise, might I add. One of the best characters in the series. Um, I don't have any problem with her character. I just think that for the purposes of this movie, and specifically Michael's half of the movie, which she appears in, um, killing off adult Connie, not little, not kid Connie. Yeah. Um, we don't kill children on this podcast. We do not kill children on this podcast. Thank you for clarifying. I don't think she moves the plot along, really. I think that her two kind of points of the movie exist only to illustrate what this character was up to. I think if you kill, if like, let's say she's not in this movie, I think it's weird. Like you have to somehow explain why she's not in this movie. But also like, I know in the first movie she had like, a, her, she herself, I, I believe if I remember correctly, Sonny beats up her husband because her husband was abusing her in the first movie. And then we learn that Sonny's the one who introduced her. Um, so she gets divorced and now she's living this like, rabid lifestyle and ignoring her kids or whatever. I I really didn't appreciate that there's really no context of, of how the family got moved out to Vegas. That That's something kind of the movie lacks. Yeah, they bit. never really explain, you know, did anybody not want to go to Vegas? You know, how, how, when did they all... Yeah, you know? so if, if that was the case, like if she was just like very resentful about kind of the way they were uprooted, maybe that gives her character motivation a little less. And I like how she comes home at the end and starts to really fall in line with, um, you know, someone who wants to keep the family together. But, you know, she's she's not really adding anything here. Like, do, do you agree? Do you disagree? I, I, I agree. I, I, I don't think she really moved things along uh, either. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a big swing here. I am going to kill off Vito Corleone and basically chop off half the movie. Because, the, or like a third of the movie, that, that sub- subplot, it's, he's already dead. He died in the first movie. Yeah. He, and then we bring him back, and just the disjointedness of going back and forth, I mean, I... No, I, I don't think there's anything, like, that you couldn't guess about how Vito became a mob boss. Like, if you said, write, write how he did it, I could probably have come up with what happens in the movie. Yeah, and, you know, so all those scenes that just get kind of dropped in, and... And I don't think it's half the movie. I think it's just like an extra hour that doesn't really need to be there. And you've got all these kind of long, you know, exposition scenes of you know Vito's background. When we already we we know Vito from back. We he's Marlon Brando. He he's, he's got. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know if we even really need any of that that 
you know, young Vito stuff. If, if you wanted to make it a, a separate movie on its own, an hour and a half of Vito's story, uh, you know, sure, do that. No, I agree. I think um, this would have been a better movie from where we're sitting right now if this is just Michael's movie. I don't think the contrast does a lot for me. I mean, I just think if it was more like the first movie, I would have enjoyed it more because the first movie was like very much a like run-the-mill mafia film you know so if you are cutting from the second half of the movie do you agree do you would you agree that it's connie would you pick someone else probably connie if just taking from michael's half yeah i don't think it really needs her death she's she's a cool character like they could have done something more interesting i mean i guess like these movies you don't really see um you know, the daughters get involved in the mafia business. Usually they're excluded. I mean, like even... I'm trying to think of a mafia movie where where the daughter played a prominent role and I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. But, um, you know, I lo- in the second half of the movie, like I said, I think she, she comes more in line with her character from the first one where she's like all about the family and comes to live in the compound. Um, but in the first half, she's like just marrying a stranger and not seeing her kids and whatever. And... It's, a, it's another thing if these are relevant to the story or moving the plot or some way, but they just kind of seem like... Uh, she also walks in, she's like, I want to see Michael, but I don't want to wait on the line. Yeah. You know? so, a little untitled. Yeah. So, all right. Um, we are going to now consult our own podcast consigliere, ChatGPT, for a spontaneous segment. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and then uh, we'll be back with a new question to answer. Okay, so sort of asked us a few questions here. So before we do it, I'm going to read off the different ones and let you pick which one we answer, okay? Hank's yawning, guys. It's late. We got to grind this one out here, all right? So the first one. In The Godfather Part Two, we see the rise of Vito Corleone and the fall of Michael Corleone. If you had to choose one character to represent the true essence of the movie, which would it be and why? Okay, the next one. We all know the famous line from the movie, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. But what if the Corleone family had a different catchphrase? What do you think it would be? Then, if The Godfather Part Two were a theme park, what kinds of rides or attractions would it have? What would be the most popular ride attraction and why? Uh, the Godfather Part Two is known for its amazing performances, but which scene stands out to you as most memorable? Why does it resonate with you? And finally, The Godfather Part Two is known for its intricate plot and, and interconnected storylines. Which character arc or storyline from the movie did you find the most interesting and why? So what do you want to answer? I mean, the easiest answer, easiest one to answer is the first one. Yeah. Uh, even though I, I could think on the fly and try to think of a new catchphrase, but um, we'll see if we come up with something while we're answering the the first one. About Vito's rise and Michael's fall. Um, I mean, I think Michael's fall captures the essence of the movie more as I said I don't think Vito's story um really contributes very much to the overall arc of the movie in general instead of just you know some interspersed uh disjointedness separating the you know Michael scenes and it's just kind of generally a, a dark movie of you know, betrayal and like a lot of mob movies are, that that's kind of the 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 genre. And 
you know, just the fact that Michael has to order the death of his brother is a big character thing for him. Yeah. That uh, I think it really kind of is at the, the core of the movie. And, you know, Fredo's you know, execution on this peaceful, you know, river is just, you know, did this have to end this way for him? And it's sad. Fredo is the movie for me. He's riding high in the beginning, getting killed at the end. Yeah. That's that's all I got. Uh, any others you want to hit while we're here? The Godfather theme park? <laughs> the attraction? You know, some sort of simulated mafia hit? Yeah, you got to have, you know, Italian theme. Italian food, man. Italian food, lots of pizza. Um, Pasta. Spaghetti and meatballs. I love the scene where they're eating in uh, the Vito side. That's the one thing I like about the Vito side. They're eating. Yeah. I think it's spaghetti with like meat sauce. Looks so good. Wanted, yeah. wanted to eat immediately. Any eating scene, obviously great. You could have a, a ride of like, you know, going through Venice on the canals. Trip to Sicily. Yeah. I think we're running out of steam here. I think so, too. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you to our good friend, Chat GPT, um, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Let's take a quick break, and then you will deliver the Hank score. Yeah, let's hope this pod doesn't go as long as the movie did. <laughs> That's the theme tonight. All right. Hank score. Hit him. Yeah, I'm going to give this movie a B. And uh, I, there are some Godfather disciples that are going to think that's sacrilege and that's fair. It's just went over the word count. It's not, there, <laughs> there, there's a word count to movies. And, and you know, the three-hour mark, you better have something really, really good. And, and a lot of people obviously think this was really, really good. It, it, I was a little bored by the end. It does kind of fall into the sequel trap. You know, I'm always a big proponent of, like, sequels... Or win-win because if you like the characters then you get you know two hours or three hours extra with the characters you like whether the story is good or not but this basically looks at all these characters at a different point in their life and kind of undoes what you think about them so it in a lot of ways it it changes the narrative it's it's in its own vacuum it's long it's you know nuanced the story doesn't feel as cohesive as as the original godfather um too nuanced. It tries to do a lot, and I don't know the scene. We talked about this during the movie. The scene where Michael shows up to the hospital to visit his father, and no one's there, and he realizes he's trying to get whacked. That scene is amazing. And then there's when he goes into the bathroom stall and finds the gun, comes back. Godfather one, man. Yeah, can't beat it. I'm I'm Team Godfather one for sure. Yeah, we both are. Uh, all right, quick break. Thank you, all my friends, for bearing with us. I sit next to Hank here, grateful for our loyal audience. And uh, we're both yawning and ready to pass out. We grinded this one out. We didn't know when we would get the next one in, but we grind this one out. It's now the wee hours of Friday morning, and hopefully this will be up later today. But thank you all again. Thanks to Hank, ChatGPT, the loyal listeners, Anchor, everyone out there. We love you all. We'll be back very shortly with Donnie Brasco, the Al Pacino Johnny Depp fr- film. Oh, excuse me. It's it's late. I'm going to leave that one in because it's late. But that is one of my favorite mob movies. It's a masterpiece. I'm sure Hank will actually like this one. So uh, we'll be back soon. And until then, see you.